And a warm welcome to Wednesday's programme. How are you doing today? It's the 29th of September 2021. It's your BBG with you until 7 o'clock. Thanks for joining me. Looking forward to today's programme. Got a very interesting first hour and maybe an interesting second hour as well. I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. Talk to me through the website richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live at the top of the page. Comment live. I look forward to chatting with you today. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, a group of parents of children who go to St. Peter's Community Primary School in Brighton are looking for funds for a judicial review to overturn a decision to allow the construction of a 15-metre 5G mast right next to the school. Yes, a 15-metre high 5G mast will be installed next to St. Peter's Community Primary School in Brighton and the parents of children there are unimpressed, to say the least. They've already raised around £11,000 online. I'll be speaking to Karen Churchill about that a little bit later on this hour. You don't want to miss that. Lots to talk about as well, as usual. I'll be running down the biggest news stories of the day. You can comment through the website. You know how it works now. A warm welcome to the programme to yourself. You're all right, you are. You're all right, you are. Fair to middling. Is that what you're telling me? Are you fair to middling? Keir Starmer gave his keynote address to the Labour Party conference in Brighton. Speaking of Brighton... This afternoon, I think I found the cure for insomnia. I'm pretty sure I did. After 30 years of looking and searching in nooks and crannies, just listen to Starmer for an hour. It had a kind of an ASMR quality, didn't it? Didn't it? Anyway, there might have been a false flag event going on in Brighton. I don't know if you noticed this. The media made much of the fact that Starmer was heckled by some sections of the audience during that speech. Did you notice that? There was a woman who stood up. She looked fairly silly now. She had one of those visors, one of those face shields, almost like a spit guard, so that she couldn't spit her COVID germs all over anybody else in the hall. Anyway, this woman who had a blue rinse, I think, she had a blue rinse, nothing wrong with a blue rinse, and she had a face shield, was screaming something at Starmer. Presumably, she's from the so-called hard left of the party and, and, and a fan of Jeremy Corbyn. But I wonder were those hecklers carefully planted by Keir Starmer's team to make him look even more statesmanlike and to distance him even further from his predecessor, Jezza Corbyn. You never know. We might have seen a false flag with actresses and actors. You just never know. Here's a little from a story in today's Times, which I think is is relevant to some of the things we talk about from time to time. And this is about Rosie Duffield, the Labour MP, the Labour Party MP. Listen to this. 
An MP has accused Starmer, Keir Starmer, and members of the Shadow Cabinet of chucking me on the railway tracks as the row over trans rights in Labour overshadowed the eve of the party's final day of conference trans rights. Rosie Duffield, 50. I thought that was a bit sexist now. I thought newspapers had dispensed with with giving out the age or informing the reader of the age of people, particularly women. Apparently not. Rosie Duffield, who's 50, spoke at an unofficial event last night in Brighton with a heavy security presence after organisers were blocked from hosting a round table at official conference venues. Protesters gathered outside to denounce the meeting. Okay, Duffield, the MP for Canterbury, who is a survivor of domestic abuse, is not attending the official conference because of fears for her safety. Yes, she says that a woman is a woman and that only a woman can have a cervix. So she has to go about now in fear for her safety. All right. Yesterday, Angela Rayner from Stockport, the Deputy Labour leader, became the latest front bencher to distance herself from Duffield's remarks. You might remember the Labour leader Starmer said that it was not right that Duffield said that only women have a cervix. (laughs) And David Lammy, the Shadow Justice Secretary, he described Rosie Duffield as a dinosaur. Speaking of Rayner, she addressed an official LGBT plus Labour event where trans activists said that Rosie Duffield's comments were deeply cringeworthy and told her to get a grip or to leave the party. Yes, Rayner said politicians had a duty to speak carefully about trans issues. Women's rights are not in conflict with trans rights, said Angela Rayner. Angela Rayner, she of the Tories are scum. That was her last weekend, calling the Tories scum and refusing to apologise. It's all vaudevillian, this, isn't it, really? Anyway, Rosie Duffield said at this unofficial debate, which took place with trans activists raging outside, It's ridiculous, I'm not a dinosaur, nothing about me is a dinosaur. I'm angry at colleagues chucking me on the railway tracks. I'm even more determined, I'm not a transphobe. I never have been and I never will be. I simply want to use the word women. Now David Lammy, I mentioned him a minute ago, Shadow Justice, Shadow Justice Secretary, LBC radio presenter, a man of colour, a black man. He was on Radio 5 Live this morning with Rachel Borden and it all kicked off somewhat. Lammy told Borden that the party wanted to get away from the old ideological battles that the party had been preoccupied with, presumably in the Corbyn era. Rachel Borden saw an opening and in she leapt. Is the argument about sex-based rights one of those old ideological battles that you're referring to? I don't know. I think that's probably a new <laughs> um, uh, battle, but I have the to reason say... I raise it, as you'll know, but just for our audience, uh, in a conference event, you described women campaigning for sex-based rights as dinosaurs who are 
hoarding those rights. And that has caused quite a reaction. Mm, that's caused quite a reaction. You call them dinosaurs. Now, he did, but David Lammy is a politician, so his default setting is liar, liar, pants on fire. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. Um, I talked about the fight in the 20th century for rights to people who didn't have it at the beginning of that century. So I talked about black and brown people who had been colonised or enslaved. I talked about working people who at the beginning of the century had no rights and were, you know, um, on the factory floor. I talked about women. Um, and because of Emmeline Pankhurst and others gained rights in that century. Hang on, and today, you said, just to be clear, yes, you said... Let me, there can are, I just finish the point? Well, no, today, because I want to be clear. This is what you said. You said there are some dinosaurs on the right and also those dinosaurs exist in our own party who want to hoard rights. Were you talking about women in your party? I called those people, some people being anti-trans uh, people. So unless you identify as being anti-trans, I think it's disingenuous to describe that um, as women. This is a sensitive debate that needs much more light than heat. Well, there are Let's many... Exactly. And there are many, many women who feel that their position and their rights are being eroded. Is it transphobic to hold the position that women born biologically female are entitled to their own spaces? Is it transphobic to hold that position? Yes or no, but you won't get a yes or no from Lammy. I'm going to finish the point that I just made, <laughs> yeah. which is that one in four trans people commit suicide. And at the moment... Getting access to uh, help and support medically can take a wait of um, two years. And it's also right that there are many women um, who've suffered domestic violence or abuse at the hands of men who are very, very sensitive of their safe spaces. So it's a sensitive issue that needs a lot more light than heat and it's certainly not my intention to pour petrol on the fire. Well, maybe you shouldn't use the word dinosaurs and talk about hoarding rights as if rights are some kind of pie with... Yes. ..with a finite end. Everybody uh, with, has with, a right uh, well, I'm within be, that with, with, with great respect to you, with, with, with great respect to you, if you let me finish the point, as a black man who is the descendant of enslaved people, I'm, <laughs> I'm really not going to take any lectures about rights. Wow. And this is a new thing, you see. This is what these identitarians, like David Lammy, this is, this is the new normal these people are, are, are creating. Not that they're creating, they're getting away with it. They are getting away with saying things like that. I can't be accused of bigotry, nor can I be accused of racism. How could I be? I'm the descendants or I'm the descendant of, of slaves. I am a descendant of people who were enslaved. I couldn't possibly be racist. And in fact, it's kind of racist of you to insinuate that there was any bigotry on my part against real women in the Labour Party. And she should annihilate him here, Rachel Borden, but she doesn't. And I fought very hard for rights on behalf of all sorts of people. Um, I stood up in Parliament and argued for same-sex marriage. Um, I'm someone who identified as a feminist, so I'm really not... He, he identifies as a feminist too. So I'm not going to take any lectures from you about how I should approach the whole trans thing. ...for same-sex marriage. Um, I'm someone who identified as a feminist, so I'm really not going to take <laughs> lectures on rights. 
He's not going to take any lectures on rights. Now, what Borden should do, of course, is jump all over him, but she doesn't. And say to him, you have described women, real women. There's only one woman, really. There's only one. Women are very easily identifiable. They have cervixes. They have wombs. They were born with them. Right? You've said that to believe that is to be a dinosaur. And that women who advocate for female, for, for, for spaces for real women, that those women are somehow transphobic or anti-trans. But she doesn't. She kind of lets them off the hook here, David Lammy. But it's a shame. It's not a lecture it's a shame from that me. You've decided. It's, it's, it's not a, shame a lecture that you've from decided. me. It's, it's the points I've that many, many you, women I think have it's a shame raised. That you have decided to raise an issue that is not coming up on the doorsteps of this country. It's a distraction. It's, it's coming up it's in your own party. And I'm calling it out. I'm calling it out for what it is. It's coming. It's coming from women within your own party. Do they not have a right to have a voice in this discussion? Well, I, I, look. Uh, you've decided that you want to interview me on the subject. I've said all... So rather than answer the question, do these real women, real women, by the way, bona fide, bona fide, bona fide women, do they not have a right? Rather than answer that, incredibly, now I would have never allowed a politician away with this, he lectures the presenter on what she should be asking him. I've said all that I can say on the subject, and I've got to tell you, it's not an issue that's being raised by the British people. Uh, we are determined in the Labour Party to set a course that's responsive to the British people. You could have asked me about fuel. You could have asked me about supplies across our shops. You could have asked me about energy. You could have asked me about the mental health proposals that we've got today. You could have asked me about climate change. You could have asked me about education. Instead, you've chosen to ask me about an issue that has never, ever been raised on the doorstep and I've been but it was an issue that you yourself Yorkshire, were speaking about in the northwest, at the conference. In the northeast. And that's why we asked you about it. Thank you very much, David Lammy, who's at the Labour Party conference. Lammy speaking to Rachel Burden on BBC Radio 5 Live this morning, 14 minutes past five. Yes, OK, we'll leave that one there for the moment. I'm sure that's going to come up again on the programme. Maybe later on, maybe not, maybe later in the week. Now, the mother of Sarah Everard has told a court that she's tormented at the thought of what her daughter endured. I think if you're in the UK, you will know about, you will know of this story. You will know that Sarah Everard was murdered by a policeman called Wayne Cousins. He was found guilty of her murder. He confessed to it, didn't he? Um, she was handcuffed by him. He pretended to arrest her for breaching COVID guidelines. It's a sickening case. And the sentencing hearing is underway. It began, I think, it might have begun yesterday, but it's going to conclude tomorrow. It's been adjourned until tomorrow. And speaking at that hearing, her mother said that her last hours on this earth have been were dreadful. She spent them with the very worst of humanity. A dreadful thing, right? It, it obviously is, and I don't understand it. I, I really don't, because I've never had that in my life. I've never had a policeman or woman knock on my door and say that something truly evil has happened to a member of my family or to a friend of mine. So I don't know what that feels like. It's, it must be horrendous. There, there's probably no escape from that. But the reaction to it has been fairly startling. I think, I don't know if you've been following it, the reaction has been startling, with some people calling for men and not women to be told to stay home when it is believed that a murderer or a rapist is on the loose. Here's a human rights barrister called Dr Charlotte Proudman, 
who does believe that men and not women should be told to stay at home when a murderer or rapist is on the loose. You will hear LBC's Nick Ferrari first. He's the presenter. Then you'll hear the barrister. Well, you should have heard them. Ah, the best laid plans and all of that. Yeah, here's the human rights barrister, the presenter first. I think it's a... Golly, as an expert in law... Why should I be barricaded in my home because of actions of one potential one man? Well, it's not just one man, is it, though? Because we know from the figures that one woman is killed every three days by a man. Nine women are raped or sexually assaulted on average every hour in this country. Not, not by me. I mean, well, you you may be the outlier then, Nick, because looking what? at the statistics, they are staggering, aren't they? I mean, that's a well, huge number of women to be murdered. It's uh, horrific. To be raped. It's, it, horrific. it's horrendous. And then don't but forget, Nick, nine, 97% of women have experienced sexual on. harassment. And that is awful. But is the solution to criminalise the innocent? Is it the solution to criminalise the innocent? I don't what, think anyone's suggesting they're criminalised. Well, I'm being told I'm, I will be not barricaded. I must stay indoors while a murderer is on those. I have never murdered anyone. I've never had any thoughts about her murdering anyone. The last time I was in a fight, I was at school. I mean, what on earth is going on? <laughs> well, uh, well, why are we telling women that they should be at home by 8pm, that there should be a curfew? Why are we telling women I, I, that they need to carry panic alarms? You know, why is the onus always on victims but never on perpetrators? And that, that's the real question. I think that's, what v, I think that's what Vera Bird is saying, that actually we should be putting the onus on perpetrators. But and I'm, many, and most of those perpetrators, unfortunately, Nick, are men. But I'm not a... Why should me and my neighbour, though, I mean, someone who upholds the law, this is a very, very, what is the expression, sledgehammer to crack a nut or whatever it is, isn't it? You're, you're well, effectively think... locking up thousands of innocent men. I don't think anyone's saying they should be locked up. I think what well, they're saying is... Well, stay in their streets... They should, no, stay they off the streets, stay sorry, stay off their streets and in their homes. That's it. Yeah. yeah, stay at home. Well, I mean, all I can say is it makes a damn change from women staying at home. I mean, I was astounded when the police suggested that women should stay indoors. You know, lock up your daughters because the men are on the loose. You know, but, that kind of narrative but is But both appalling. are wrong, aren't they? Of course they are. We don't want ah. to live in a world where either either men or women have to be at home because there's a murderer on the loose or there is a rapist. I mean, it's terrible. Ah. But it shows, Nick, doesn't it, the prevalence of violence against women and girls and the fact that what the police are doing is just not enough. It is rotten to the core. Yeah, and there was a lot of this going on today on UK media, you might have noticed. There were a lot of women, feminists, some feminists, uh, women from victims groups, you know, declaring it to to be an emergency, that there's an emergency situation, that the the, the murder of Sarah Everard is somehow not an unusual event, but that it's a regular event, that something needs to be done, that men need to get involved and, and, and men should stay home more often and maybe some women on, on radio today, I believe on phone-in programmes on the BBC, some women were advocating for specific times of the week when men in certain areas would undertake it or would take it upon themselves to stay indoors, to voluntarily stay indoors, maybe between 8 o'clock and and and. I don't know, the following, maybe 8 o'clock on a Wednesday until the following 
morning to allow women to be able to walk about the streets and go about their business in in more safety. It's all a bit mad, this, isn't it? It's at 21 minutes past the hour. You'll have been following, or you may have been following, the volcano that erupted on Spain's La Palma Island. You, you must have followed it. It's the... Um, it's the, I suppose, one of the biggest stories of the week or the last uh, week or, or so. Uh, today, the media was focused on the fact that the lava from the volcano has reached the Atlantic Ocean and that has raised fears of toxic gases being released into the air and explosions. So this is the Cumbre Vieja volcano in the Canary Islands. It erupted on September 19th. They've evacuated 6,000 people. It's destroyed houses and schools. It's not good, right? No, it's not good. Now, Sky News, Sarah J and me, had a volcanologist on called Karina Fernley. This is really interesting because Sarah J and me pointed out that the volcano is naturally occurring. It's a naturally occurring phenomenon. And the volcanologist said, yes, it is. And it's a good thing in the long term. Listen to this. It's very interesting. This is a naturally occurring event, though. Whenever we talk about polluting the seas, we tend to focus on the man-made pollution. This is a natural event. So while it is dangerous at the moment and destroying marine life and changing the landscape, what's the long-term effect of this? Absolutely. Um, I mean, we we are all coming, we've all evolved through the mouths of volcanoes. You know, volcanoes have given us the oxygen we breathe and the in the land and the environment that, that we live on and, and use. Uh, and so, you know, it really is a case of rejuvenation, which does happen after this horrible initial devastation of just destroying everything in, in their way. And so, it, you know, in a few years, we will see uh, that volcano starting to regenerate. There's been lots of great footage of Mount St. Helens, for example, another uh, volcano in the USA. Uh, that erupted in 1980, and that created a huge amount of devastation. We quite rapidly saw um, the uh, the rejuvenation of plant, and ultimately it creates very fertile soils that can then go on to create great agricultural crops, um, create great wines, um, and, and so on. So it, you know, in the long term, this is a very positive thing. It's a thing that we need as, as an environment to, to survive. Um, but obviously, in the short term, it's having a devastating impact on those people whose livelihoods and homes have been affected. And of course, they're very scared and frightened about what's happened because they haven't experienced anything like this for over 50 years now. Right. That's fairly straightforward, that, right? Very straightforward. It's a good thing in the long term and the volcano is a naturally occurring event. But then, shortly after that, a few minutes later, Sarah Jane Me plugged Sky News Daily Climate Show. Now, it's the only daily news show to report exclusively on climate change, right? Listen to the plug, listen to what's said. Very interesting. It's the Daily Climate Show coming up tonight at half past six. Anna is in charge. Let's have a look at what's coming up. Hi, Anna. Hi, Sarah Jane. Yeah, coming up on the show, we're going to be live on the Canary Island of La Palma, where residents have now been warned to stay indoors because of toxic gas fears as that red-hot lava from the erupting volcano has now reached the sea. And we're also going to be getting the input of an expert on the environmental and the atmospheric impact of volcanoes. Wow. So on the one hand, you've got Sky News saying this is a naturally occurring volcano. The gas emissions 
coming from the lava hitting the sea is a problem in the short term, but this is a naturally occurring thing and in the long term it's good. And yet Sky News later on in the same bulletin includes a report on the volcano in its daily climate show, which is a programme all about climate change. That's either disingenuous, it's either a mistake or it's something a bit more serious, a bit more sinister than that. It's uh, 24 and a half minutes past the hour. This is The Richie Allen Show for Wednesday, the 29th of September, 2021. Going to take a quick musical break. When we come back, I'll have my first guest on. We're going to be talking about 5G masts being situated next to schools in this country, particularly in Brighton. Very important story, that. Stay with me. Do comment on the programme, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. Drop me a message and I'll be reading them out as I go along. Music from Baccarat. Yes, sir, I can boogie on the Richie Allen radio show. The time is exactly 29 minutes past 5 o'clock UK time. It's different. It's different where you are, isn't it? Right, I'm a bit distracted here now, things are going off here. Right, let's uh, let's do this. Uh, I will be reading your comments as I go along. I said richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live at the top of the page. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. This is a serious one, this. I think it's very serious. Karen dropped me a message this morning through the website, so she did, to tell me about something that's going on down in Brighton, down there in Brighton. And it's to do with 4G and 5G masts near schools. Uh, Parents of children at St Peter's Community Primary School have been looking for funding for a judicial review if they need it to overturn a planning decision which will allow a 15 metre 5G mast to be installed right next to the school. Yes, well, this is serious. Let's, uh, but before we do that, let me just, uh, let me just do that. Yes, okay. Let's welcome Karen Churchill to the programme. Karen, it's lovely to speak to you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Richie. <laughs> good uh, to be lovely, on the call with you today. Lovely to meet you. I'm going to try and bring in Carol at, at some stage. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to do that. Um, thanks for getting in touch. Right, so this is taking place in Brighton. The decision, yes. the decision has been made to, to erect the mast next to the school. That hasn't happened yet. Am I right in saying that? It hasn't begun no. yet. It's, it's gone through the planning procedure and Brighton Council have accepted the, the plan and given it uh, permission to go ahead. And, and so it's that decision that we are, we've already started proceedings to um, challenge that decision uh, via judicial review. The, uh, the initial papers have been filed and we're waiting for their res- first response and they've got till Friday um, to come back and either decide to concede or to stick to their decision that it was okay to approve it. What has the school said about this? I'm always fascinated by by the school in, in these situations. Have they come down on either side of this, Karen? Well, yes, the head teacher put in an objection very early on in the early stages of the, the planning process and she was very much in favour of applying precaution and saying no to the mast, definitely. 
That's really interesting. So the head teacher was on board straight away. She was. And we, we're not finding that in other parts of the country. Uh, we had um, a master on a school in Canesham outside of Bristol, and that wasn't the case there. The, the head teacher looked at all the information and passed it upwards to the academy, and then the academy sat on the fence. And um, they just wanted to follow the, you know, the official line and the guidance, which it's all safe. And that's despite there being ample evidence that it's not. <laughs> Tell us about some of that evidence that's out there that, yeah. that, 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 that leads you and others to believe that it isn't safe and it shouldn't be anywhere near children. Well, the good news at the moment is we don't have to make our own mind up because it's got, uh, the evidence has gone into in front of uh, courts now in in America. Recent, very recently, about three weeks ago, there was a decision that their regulator, the FCC, had ignored um, the evidence and that they have to look at it. So, if I pull up some of that evidence now, especially in relation to the vulnerability of children, um, they the judge ruled that that evidence is not being looked at by the regulators. Um, and, yes, yeah, so it's got it here, yeah. The, and the long-term uh, impacts aren't being considered. Um, and the testimony of people that are actually experiencing um, injuries already from the 4G and the 3G mask exposure, their testimony isn't being heard. And the impacts on the wildlife and the environment, that evidence isn't being looked at. So you have a lot of studies that are done which looks at the uh, health impacts within 500 metres um, of, of the mast and consistently there's headaches, nausea, sleep disturbances, concentration problems. Um, and, you know, the, the evidence, there was a, a report that came in, a Spanish report in January this year by Lopez and and partners. And again, it corroborated a statistically significant increase in headaches and sleep problems with people living within 500 within meters. Within 500 meters. And yes. the if this mast is built next to the school, it'll be only 27 meters away. Exactly. Exactly. And on top of that, you know, even officially with the with the two high guidelines that they use, there's an area around a mask called an exclusion zone. It's like a bubble shape, uh, a balloon that comes out of the top of the mast. And that area within that area, it's only safe. The occupational zone is only safe for eight hours. And, uh, you know, they put that on the plans themselves but they don't reveal those plans to the planners or to the residents or to the school. So in this case, um, an independent person who uh, used you know, an equivalent mast and did all the calculations and showed that the unsafe area actually touches the school roof. So um, Touches yeah, the school roof? Yeah, it touches it, according to his calculations. And during the, the application for this mast, it, the height was changed from 20 metres down to 15 and there was no re- reissuance of the ICNAP certificate. And even if it was issued, they don't show it to the planners or to the um, residents. You just have to accept that telecoms have done their job and they've created, you know, they've calculated the zone and, you know, it's not going to touch the people. But in this case, when it's calculated independently, it's dangerously close. And um, in in the year 2000, the Stewart report said that the, without the permission of the parents and the head teacher, 
um, it shouldn't go ahead. So, um, yeah, it's it's a serious situation. It's, really it's, is. It is really serious. Yeah, it is. I, I remember speaking to Dr. Christopher Busby on this program about the about ICNRP as as it's known. This is supposedly the independent group that provides scientific advice on these things, but but it isn't independent. And yeah. I, I was astonished at the, at the time to to to, to find out that ICNRP is basically uh, made up of or put together by by the industry itself. Yes, yes. They, uh, a lot of the members have had ties to industry, and it's a closed group. So you've got appeals of you know many scientists and doctors trying to raise the alarm about the non-thermal effects because ICNA look mainly at the effects that happen when the radiation heats the tissues, where there are other effects that happen at a lot lower um, exposure. And it's those effects that are just being ignored by ICNAP. And this is what the U.S. court has just ruled, that those effects must be looked at by the regulators. They can't be ignored anymore. You've got um, the, the campaign, by the way, I'm just going to turn my head to the right here so I get it right. So it's on crowdjustice.com and it's yes. Stop 5G Masked by St. Peter's. And it's, I have to say, congratulations, £11,000 thus far. That's exceptional, Karen. So there is a lot of interest in this then. And as far as parents of children go, what, what, what sort of numbers of parents are involved, you know, parents whose kids are going to the school? Well, this is it. I, I think there were 200 objections uh, when we originally um, uh, objected to the application. Uh, but I think parents across the country, you know, at the, um, the, the carols have connected with people in the southwest and in London. And, you know, people are, are becoming more and more aware, you know, and I think parents realize that if we can stop it in Brighton, it, that decision will have an effect for the rest of people across the country. Um, so, yes, you know, parents are very, very concerned. But I think a lot of people still don't know, Richie. That's the thing. A no, lot they of don't. People are still led to believe that you're silly if you think there's a problem with non-ionizing radiation because the, the government messaging is very much, oh, don't worry, it's all in hand, you know, your tinfoil hat, if you, you know, if you believe that there's a problem. And so Karen, can, 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 you, can you get over that? Could I get over that. Is, that. is that an insurmountable object, this this belief in society that the technology is excellent, it's important and it's totally safe? Because you're right, that would be the majority opinion. I, I know it to be. It's, it's, I encounter it all the time. And please God, your group is successful in preventing that mast going next to the school. The problem will be, of course, they'll put it somewhere else and somebody else will be in harm's way. How do we begin to convince people that this is not safe at all? In fact, it's not just not safe, it's potentially very harmful. Absolutely, totally agree with you. And yeah, we're working hard to get that message across. And I think the results of court cases, um, you know, when they start to make judgments, then we're not left making that judgment for ourselves because I think people get overwhelmed. Oh, gosh, if I look at the science, I've got to make a judgment. You know, well, the court's looking at it. You know, there's two other uh, judgments, one in the court of Turin that ruled that ICNA, um, their 
assessment of the science was unreliable and that, yes, in fact, the mobile phone had caused that person's cancer. And then in December in Holland, there was a, a case of a lady with electrosensitivity and a mast was going up and the court ruled, yes, you know, her, her health is at risk, even at one volt per meter, which is like a 50th of, you know, the guideline ignorant level. So with these court judgments coming in, you know, and people need to understand that, you know, regulation is often a progression. You know, when you think of what happened with smoking, I mean, it took um, years to swing from smoking is sexy back to actually smoking kills on the packet of every, yeah. you know. I just think in this situation, people really need to understand that this is urgent because with smoking, you have a choice. With 4 and 5G, the way they're putting up all these wireless devices everywhere and masks everywhere, you know, there's no sanctuary. There's no safe space. Nowhere to get away from it. No. And there's so many people that are having to, you know, leave their houses and lead very, very restricted lives and because of, you know, the the load of that wireless radiation is really beginning to affect a lot of people. There's one, one, one has been erected. A, a 5G mast has been erected, I think um, around about somewhere between 700 metres and a kilometre away from where I live. It's been erected at the top of uh, the very top end of Buell Hill Park in Salford near Eccles Old Road and where they've put it, Karen, they've actually put it within a stone's throw of a secondary school there. And oh, it, it went, really? yeah, it went up within the last six or seven weeks, and it went up. Well, I, I'm, it went up overnight, basically. And I've been asking people around there, yeah. what do you think about that? How well, do you feel about do it? And they just don't sometimes know. Sometimes they send out the notification letters when there's nobody at the school. Yeah. And they're supposed to send it out registered post, and they're supposed to have two weeks to consult with a proper consultation process. So I think, you know, that unless you've got a group of campaigners actually, um, you know, looking at the planning portal of every council, you know, these master applications are often being missed because who who would be thinking to do that? Yeah. Often find that even the residents where they're supposed to, you know, the immediate residents are supposed to be notified. Time and time again, we're seeing them not being notified. So I'm, I'm what have we're, to find we're out. encouraging people to do is to, in each area, have somebody that's keeping their, you know, sign up to the planning portal and um, make sure you get notifications and check them weekly to see what's coming on. Um, but once it's up, as you say, then then if, if people are suffering symptoms, we do have a process, you know, where you can complain via a statutory nuisance complaint and you can present evidence of the, the link between your symptoms and the harm. And obviously, if you've got a doctor's diagnosis that, you know, your symptoms have started since the master's gone up. Now, this is interesting, um, Karen. Do you know of any, of any case where somebody complained that their, their health had been adversely affected by the erection of one of these masts and the complaint led to the removal of the mast, and I mean historically now, even with 3G and 4G masts, has anybody been successful doing that? I think I'm not 100% sure, if I'm really honest. Um, 
I do know of a case where uh, a pregnant lady objected to a mast and, and she was successful in her case in getting the mast stopped. But in terms of after it's been up, bringing it down, no. I don't know of any cases like that. We do have a case uh, recently where a lady with sensitivity objected and appealed on judicial review and was man she managed to stop a wireless uh, radiating equipment opposite her house. But that's not what you're asking, you know, in terms of actually bringing one down. But we're, as a group, we're, you know, blazing the trail and yeah. uh, we're looking for ways for to stand up and, you know, get the decision makers to be accountable. If the insurers won't ensure this, you know, people know that this is harmful. Um, so we've just got to keep making progress um, and, and keep pointing out the facts and, you know, taking one step at a time, at a time. with each individual case. I'm going to apologise to you now. Can I let you go and bring in Carol? I, I say that because I can take 15, 20, 40 calls collectively at any given time but there's an issue with the software today and for some reason I can only bring in one call at a time so if you don't mind Karen um, I'll, I'll thank you really for coming on no you. hugely important this is massive this it really is and I'm, I'm getting a lot of comment on it through the website too so what I'll do is I'll say goodbye to you for now and I'll get Carol on whose name is on the case of course and who's um, behind the, 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 the crowdfunding, because I want to talk to her as well. But in the meantime, Super. thanks for raising this and for getting in touch with me. It's hugely important. Thanks, Karen. Oh, thanks, Richie. Thanks for airing it. Much Not appreciated. at all. All the best. You too. <laughs> Bye for now. That was uh, Karen Churchill, and she's in Brighton, right? So a group of parents in Brighton have said no way to a 5G mast being erected next to St. Peter's School in Brighton. I think Karen said about 500 I'm pretty sure she said about 500, excuse me, she didn't, she said 200, didn't she, uh, parents there. Carol Springay is, 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 is the case owner, effectively. And if you go to crowdjustice.com and look for Stop 5G Mast by St. Peter's, you'll see a picture of the, uh, some of the children who go to the school there and also that they've managed thus far to raise just over £11,000. This is massive, this. And this is kind of the first one I've heard of now, where you've seen such a movement like this, where you've seen so many parents come together. Let's welcome Carol to the programme then. Carol, lovely to speak with you. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for taking I'm, I'm the call. I'm with my partner, Spencer, as well. Oh, and, Spencer is um, there. He also supported um, us to sort of look at the mask. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm on, I'm on the hands-free then, or you're on the hands-free there. Carol, um, this is very, very, very prescient, this. It's huge. I was just mentioning to Karen before you came on, one has gone up very close to a school less than a kilometre away from where I am, and I haven't been able to find out yet, did the school know anything about it, or, or was there any objection to it, or or what the, the, the residents in that area think? But I'm going to make it my, my business to find out. First of all, congratulations on the crowdfunding. You've had a fantastic response to it, haven't you? Yes, we have, but um, we need to raise quite a bit more in order to push the case forward. Um, yeah, and in a lot of cases, um, we found out around this local area that many schools... 
um, have barely received any information. Um, for example, there was another school locally um, that got the notification about a mask going up next to them when it was locked down. So obviously there was nobody actually at the school site to um, put any objections in. Um, so we get a lot of situations like this locally. And also for us, the consultation uh, period um, the consultation was really poor by both the telecoms company and uh, Brighton and Hove Council as well. They left every the telecoms company was supposed to send us two recorded delivery uh, letters to the school head and to the um, head of governors, and that didn't happen at all. Instead, an email was just sent, and it just ended up in the junk box of the school. And you can imagine a school gets. Um, hundreds of emails a day from different um, companies. So basically, they didn't receive any message uh, from the telecoms company. It was only about sort of two or three weeks later uh, when local neighbours got the odd letter, got a letter through their door, which was yeah, it's about 17 days after the consultation started, um, and then they contacted the school, and then the school realised. They checked through all the junk mail, and then they'd seen they'd been uh, they'd been sent this email. So basically, the process has been really poor. The school were only left five working days in which to respond to the consultation, and it was only really through the support of uh, us parents being able to support them with um, coming, you know, back back to them that they managed to get a really good objection in. Um, yeah. Has the telecoms company involved? Are they in breach of any uh, any planning rules or regulations by conducting themselves in that way, Carol? Does that you know should that put them at a disadvantage going forward because they've not done it by the letter? Well, the telecoms company in they they have to submit what they call a site specific information document where they demonstrate that they've assessed the site um, and in this particular document they've listed several times that they have tried their very best to cite the mast as far away from sensitive local receptors as possible. Now a sensitive local receptor can include a nursery, a school, a, nurse, a hospital or a nursing home. Um, so they sort of have mentioned several times in this document that they've tried to cite it as far away as possible but it's actually just 27 metres from a school boundary. Um, the, the classroom in question that is quite close to the mast does actually look like a commercial shed so it could actually be that the person who signed off the ICNERT certificate he would have done it remotely he would have done it from several miles away across the other side of the country looking at doing mathematical calculations from a sort of google map or something like that so it could well be that he might have mistaken um what what is actually classrooms to be like a commercial shed or something like that. So that's one of the points that we're challenging both the um, telecoms company and the council on, that they actually may have mistaken certain buildings uh, and not realised that actually that was part of the school grounds. I'm really amazed, by the way, listening to Karen earlier. You've got over, well, you've got 200 people involved there and while Karen was saying that the, the general perception seems to be in, so, in society in wider society that this is a great thing 
I'm amazed that you've you, that you've you've got so much support from the parents of the other children attending the school. How did you go about that? Because I'm I'm imagining Carol that for many of them it might have been the first time that they heard that you know this technology non ionizing radiation might be potentially harmful. Did you come up against any of that? Well. When people heard about the potential for the mask to be sighted so close to the school, many people were very upset about the decision, including the school head. So it's not like people needed convincing um, about it. People just in their in their bones just felt that this was too close to a school. Um, we need to children are vulnerable and we need to apply precaution and none of us know the long-term health effects of this technology it hasn't been tested long enough to know the long-term effects so um, it just seems sensible to apply precaution really. What has the local authority said about that that specific point that this is new technology it hasn't been properly uh, tested there's been no you know impact I suppose, surveys done on what this might do to people. And presumably, not just yourself, Carol, and, and, and your supporters, but around the country, people must be saying this to local authorities. What was the response? What has your local authority said about that, about the fact that it isn't, you know, nobody can be sure that this is safe? Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd like to just say, as well as the 200 objections the two local councillors objected straight away. Our local MP, who is also Peter Cole, the Shadow Schools Minister, he objected um, straight away, as did the neighbouring um, local authority on um, planning grounds and siting, as did the, uh, their own highways team for Brighton and Hove City Council. They also felt that the the um, mast restricted the view of traffic, which is a very busy A road at the bottom of a school exit where people are in parents are in cars with kids and they might not be concentrating um, and the actual cabinetry of the mast restricts the view. So there's that aspect that they actually have ignored the uh, concerns of their own highways team. Um, but also um, the Brighton and Hove Council um, feel that they're given no choice but to, um, they're not allowed to consider health grounds. They can only consider the sighting of the mast and uh, on what grounds? Sorry, sighting, sighting and appearance. That's, that's the categories that they must stick to. They feel that they're not actually allowed to... Um, uh, to sort of refuse an application on health grounds. And if they do, the, that decision would be over, appealed and overturned by the telecoms company. So they're, in a way, their hands are tied as well because they feel like they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Right. Um, and really, in a way, with us sort of um, fighting the... Um, council it's almost like um going to tell the news agent off for, sell for selling the cigarettes right. it's not really their fault they're the ones selling the cigarettes but they're not the ones making the cigarettes so really the telecoms companies get away with it because they kind of divide and conquer we're we're all squabbling amongst ourselves whereas they're just sitting pretty just waiting till we finish squabbling you know if you see what i mean i do i get you so. on 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 the health thing carol how important will it be, not just for yourself, but for other concerned parents and people around the country as this 
you know, becomes more common as masks start to pop up. How important do you think it'll be to get health expertise to kind of weigh in on this? And how difficult do you think that will be? Because I don't know of any GP, I don't know of any academic in the country who's asking questions about this technology or or even suggesting that it might be harmful to people. So is that going to be a problem, do you think, going forward? How, how, how have you found that, trying to get that sort of expertise? Um, well, there is an organisation called FHIRE, P-H-I-R-E, and they are a group of scientists, um, medical professionals, um, all sorts, and they are... Um, uh, in a group trying to campaign. So there are many people with a, with a science um, background and medical background campaigning, and there are literally thousands of studies that demonstrate that there are biological effects. So it's just a case of it all catching up, really. It's, fair it's enough. Just, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like with smoking. You know, smoking was rolled out and um, it took many years of research until the evidence was sort of staring you square in yeah. the face. Till, till, and it took many years for that to come out. And, you know, it, it potentially could be the same with um, 5G. I mean, I haven't got crystal ball. I don't know the future. I don't necessarily know the impacts that it will have. But my view as a parent and with children, is that we should apply precaution. The precautionary principle, I agree with you. Mm. Let, let me ask you this, and if your partner wants to come in on this, uh, by, by all means, is it? did you say sure. Spencer, did you? I think you might have... Yes, Spencer. Spencer yeah, Spencer, Spencer, jump in anytime you want. Would you? I mean, he can't hear you actually. Oh, he can't. Uh, it's be, but, is it? Um, Technology. There must be something. There must be something in the air today, Carol, because I'm having technical issues myself, and I've, I'm in a state of the art studio. On 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 this issue in general, to kind of move it out a little bit. How concerned are you by the effects of of that radiation on? youngsters would your children use mobile phones or tablets uh no no um my child doesn't use a mobile phone or tablet no. fantastic and we we we, we use a land we um my yeah we, we apply precaution in our own home as well so our laptops are etherneted um our landline is corded um I do have a mobile phone, but I keep it switched off when I'm at home and I just check, check texts periodically. So I try to um, practice what I preach. Yeah. If you know what I, I mean. wasn't trying to, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to catch you out there because, you know, right. I, not at all because, look, peer pressure, children want these things. I know they do. And as well as that, you know, some parents who don't like the children using the technology, they see a security benefit to it. You know, if the child's going to be away somewhere, maybe away for the weekend, maybe in the scouts, maybe in the girl guides, going on a school trip, whatever, just knowing that they have that instant connectivity with mum or dad, if need be. But you're that concerned about it. Listen, I don't blame you. I remember interviewing somebody from Nokia. I was on the radio in Spain many years ago, many years ago, and I had a guy on from Nokia, and he was currently, he was employed by Nokia at the time. And he told me that these things are potentially deadly to children and that children should not be holding them to their ears ever under any circumstances. And he talked yeah, about, um, sorry, Carl, he talked about there being a very, you know, obvious reason why these things get very warm 
in, in, in your hand. He said, don't give them to children. So you don't allow your um, child to have them. What about yeah. other what about other yeah. children at the school? Do you do you see some of the other pupils? Do you see them using the phones? Is it a common thing? Is it not? Yes, yes, yes. Some of them do, but it's it's that's the choice, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's the choice of the parents and the children. Yeah, that's that's up to them. But I just um, I'm just a believer in sort of um, fi- the fibre network, and I prefer that as a as a better way of. Um, transmitting signal rather than sort of powering up, powering it through the air, basically. The Wi-Fi. The campaign is, it's on crowdjustice.com. So if if our listeners go to crowdjustice.com, it's the case, it's stop-5g-mast-by-St-Peters. Just look for 5G mast by St. Peter's. I did that earlier on. If you Google that or use another search engine, you'll find it immediately. It's, um, there's a judicial review. Well, there might be a judicial review if there is Carol and, and her supporters and concerned parents will need funds there. They're looking for about £40,000. They've raised 11000 so far. And from what Karen said earlier on, is it true that, um, maybe I misheard her, but the, these th- there are other groups around the country, Carol, is that right, looking at these issues? Yes, yes, there are, yes. Um, well, up and down the country, yeah. And, and is that because... Gathering together. Is that because we're seeing a prevalence of masks being planned for for schools or hospitals, or is it just a general issue about the masks just just be, just being erected in in our towns and villages? Um, well, I only came into this. Um, I mean, I I didn't ask to be heading up this campaign. It just happened because I just saw such a red mist over. Um, the mask being uh, sighted so close to a school, um, it just I just saw such a red mist. So it's kind of, I, I didn't come into this, I've just sort of come into this from this angle, but yeah. then from coming into it, that's where, how I met Karen, who's involved in more of the national campaign. Um, and then I've sort of seen that there's a lot of people up and down the country doing a similar thing to myself. And it was only from... Uh, this situation that I've sort of found out about it all really but it's not something I wanted to be doing with my time I've got plenty of other things to do but it's just um I felt so passionate about the fact that um the the council shouldn't really be allowing masks so close to a school like that I just felt saw such a red mist that I just had to do something well, about I, it. I sincerely wish you and everybody else there all the best and obviously I'll be keeping it very close eye on it, uh, Carol. I have to say, and I mean it sincerely, you're, you're both, Karen and yourself, incredibly eloquent. You've got the facts, you know, the facts are definitely on your side and it looks like you've got an enormous amount of support there. This is a huge issue, this. I really believe it to be a massive issue, this, for all of us going forward. And uh, I've heard from people over the years, I mentioned Chris Busby earlier on, preeminent in in the field of non-ionising radiation. He tells me, Carol, he tells me clearly that this is dangerous and this won't have adverse effects on, on people. This will have serious health implications for enormous amounts of people. And and I I know as an expert in that field, he wouldn't say that if that wasn't true. So, yeah, this yeah. is going to be a big one going forward. Before I move on, you 
plug the crowd justice again. And if there's anything you wanted to say that you think you haven't said, now's the time to do it, Carol. And I'm really glad you came on the programme today. Um, yeah, just that, I mean, I 5G, it's supposed to sort of um, not penetrate the body as deeply as the other um, Gs. But what it does do is it penetrates the skin. It can... It, so my concern as well is about the, the eyes, basically, for children, and especially because it is beam-focused as well. So, yeah, my concern is about eyes, not just, yeah, just, um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> no, it's really interesting that yeah. the soft tissue yeah. of the eye might be more vulnerable yeah. to, to what's being emitted from, from, from 5G yeah, so masks than, than anything else. Yeah, so it could be that incidences of um, cataracts or something like that start to go go up um, if people are just, um, if it's penetrating the eyes more or the surfaces of the skin. Quick final question. What has local media been like down there in Brighton? Um, we are, we haven't really got to that stage yet of um, involving local media because I've been just so busy with other aspects of my life. But we're, we're, um, we've contacted a few people, but we just need to follow up on those contacts. So that's the um, the next stage. Yeah, it should be all over it, not just the local media, the national media. When you have two hundred parents and teachers and a head teacher yeah. coming together to say no to this, and you raise eleven thousand pounds with very little publicity, you've not had any real media publicity. It's a yeah. it's a big story, you know, and, and if I'm writing for a national newspaper, I'm coming down there to cover the story. All I can do is wish you, again, as I said, Thank the very you. best with it, Carol. And please, you know, come back on and, and, and update us as time goes on. OK, thank you very much. Thank you for your time, Ricky. Not at all. Lovely to meet you. And thanks again to Karen Churchill. That was Karen Springay. Uh, Carol, excuse me, Springay. She's in Brighton. There is... Uh, plans have have been given the go-ahead. Telecoms companies have been given the go-ahead to erect a 20... 27 metres away from a school, a 15-metre mast... Uh, 5G mast and parents are up in arms down there and have said no that the planners and telecoms companies that were supposed to consult schools and this school in particular uh, every step of the way haven't done that and this would have very serious implications for the health of children in that school and anybody else around and about that particular mast. Really interesting story. Crowdjustice.com if they need to go to court and they might very well need to go to court down there. Crowdjustice.com Stop 5G Mast by St. Peter's. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show. It's live for Wednesday the 29th of September 2021. Now I've had a number of emails from you about trying to replay the programme or programmes using your podcast provider and about there being serious problems with that. So I've got a little bit of an announcement to make. I'll do that in a moment when I come back. And that will be in 60 seconds. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible. Yes! The picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously, ensignfilms.co.uk. 
Bright, yes. wa- welcome back to the programme. Now, a number of you have been in touch with me in recent days to say, Richie, we, I, I download from iTunes, I download from Spotify, it's usually one or the other, maybe Podbean, and you've noticed as time has gone on that I do a show between five and seven. I edit the music out. Right, because I can't upload a podcast if the music is still in there because it's copyrighted. I don't have the right to do that. I can play music during the live programme. I'm covered. I can do that, right? There's a fee. It's a small fee. I do that, but I can't then archive that. So what I do is I finish the programme. I immediately edit out the music and anything which is copyrighted. And then I upload it. I upload it to Podomatic.com. That's my parent company. It's not my parent company. It's the one I chose all those years ago, right? I I liked the look of them. I still do. It's a good company. The customer service is excellent. They're not that expensive and they are always at the end of a phone. I like them, Podomatic.com. I put it up there. When I do that, it then automatically, it's all automated, it goes out to your provider. That's a very simple process. Right, to have the directory take it to iTunes, Spotify and all of that. What I've learned. Now, you've been with me a long time, so you know I'm no martyr. Not now, and not now, not ever. Ever, in a million years. This isn't about me per se, at all. It's about the show. What's been happening, and it's not just in the last week. What's been happening is, and I know this to be true, because I've been told I was told six or seven weeks ago by somebody who claimed to be working for for Spotify. And they said to me, one or two programmes, one or two podcasts, because this is a live radio show. I hate that it is referred to as a podcast. It isn't a podcast. It becomes a podcast after the live show finishes. It For me, I, I've never liked the term podcast. It's a live radio show. And it's on demand. When the live programme ends, it's on demand. You can listen to it if you want through your podcast provider. Anyway, I'll get to the blooming point. Some time ago, somebody got in touch with me from Spotify. And I hate this hearsay shit. You know, I should be able to say to you, it's this person. His name is, or her name is. I should be able to do that. But you're protecting people and their identity. They got in touch with me and they said, look, Richie, this is what's happening. There are one or two radio shows in circulation. Yours is one of them. And I believe that people are being appointed specifically to edit your programme before it is uploaded to Podomatic or to iTunes or to other third parties, before it basically automatically uploads to those platforms. And I said, right, so you're, you're, you, so automation, automated ruled, ruled right out. And I was told, yes, yours and maybe one or two more, but not many, are being filtered by a by somebody designated to do that job, an actual person, before the programmes end up on Spotify. The person couldn't give me too much more information. For example, like, like when and why. When and why. It's happening all the time. The why would appear to me to be obvious. The programme features 
people who challenge the 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 official, let's call it the official narrative when it comes to COVID-19, the official narrative when it comes to the COVID jabs. So it's looking like these programmes, this programme is kind of slowly but surely being erased from the podcast directories of the world. And that isn't of any surprise to me whatsoever. That's something that I predicted some time ago. I knew this was coming. The programme has been under serious attack now for the best part of, I would say, for the best part of a year. I don't know if it coincided with the explosion in listeners back around the middle of 2020. I don't know. The programme around early 2020, we would... I would expect at six o'clock, right in the middle of the programme, on any given Monday to Thursday, back in February, March 2020, there would have been about somewhere between 50 and 60,000 listeners listening live, which was a great thing, unprecedented, wonderful. If I wanted to have an ego, oh, that's great. That's a lot of listeners, that. Not to mention the one million people at that time who downloaded it every month. But what happened last year was a lot of people who'd never entertained the notion of listening to Jesus, how would you describe a programme like this? Independent media, alternative radio, what would you call it? Whatever you'd call it, a lot of people who would never have given a second thought to a programme like this began listening to it in the mid part of last year, towards the end of last year. Now, I would imagine, I would guess, that a lot of programmes, not just this one, a lot of channels who talk about this information or who share information that isn't shared in the legacy media, a lot of programmes have no doubt, in my mind, have seen an increase in, in, in listeners and have seen an increase in viewers. This programme went crazy last year. There's a number of reasons for that. It's the only one of its kind, number one. There isn't anything else like it. And number two, it's basically a mainstream, it's a mainstream radio programme in sound and in production value or values. So we went from about 60,000 listeners swiftly last year to where the average daily live show was carrying between 110 and 130,000 listeners. We're now in September 2021 and five to six, five past six, ten past six, on any given day, over 200,000 people listening live to it, scattered around 130 countries. But the majority of them are in three countries. The majority are in the UK are in the United States of America and are in the Republic of Ireland. That's where they are. So, three or four months ago, the attacks began on the programme, not on me because I'm not important. I really am an inconsequential, curmudgeonly, grumpy, bold bastard who lives in a housing estate in Salford. I am not important. I fish for no compliments. I don't, I don't seek to diminish myself. I'm good at what I do. I'm good at certain things. But it's programmes like this 
they want to eradicate. So, so, so PayPal decided to delete an account that was 12 years old. I had a PayPal account long before the Richie Allen show ever existed. I used it sometimes to buy things on eBay. I think over the years I might have sold one or two things on eBay, records and stuff, but not nothing, nothing serious. So that's where it began. You had the Twitter thing. Earlier this year, every newspaper in the country, the broadcasters, Sky News, of course, most notably, and talk radio and others decided to talk about the programme and say that the programme was a haven for racists and, and, and generally people of ill repute, bad people, bad characters. Monumental bollocks, of course, the, the programme isn't a haven for racists or, or bigots or anything like that at all. But someone somewhere last year said that we can't have that Richie Allen show. We can't have it. We can't allow that. We can't allow a guy out of a home-built radio studio in Salford, we can't allow him broadcast to audiences bigger than the majority of the country's commercial radio presenters. We saw a few weeks back, uh, the programme is regularly in the top 50. iTunes, most listened to news programmes in the UK. We can't have that. They were never going to allow that. So what we're going to see now is in the short term, the programme is going to be erased from the world's podcast providers. It's going to disappear off there. Except for my podcast provider, who has undertaken, who's sworn a blood oath, by the way, not to me, you might remember this last year, Podomatic Inc., as a company, swore that it would never delete its its users, its clients, because I am a client of Podomatic. It swore last year. In fact, it presented a charter, didn't it, last year? I remember Hayden Hewitt noticed this and went big on this. It swore, it said, no, we'll never delete one of our clients from our servers because of an opinion he might have, or she might have, as it were. It's a live radio programme. I'll continue to do it live every Monday to Thursday and I will put it on Podomatic.com but very soon you will not be able to get it anywhere else. And I fear eventually Podomatic will cease to be and then the only place you'll be able to get it is to listen to it live. I really know this is going to happen. This isn't worst case scenario. It is going to happen that not too far from now, you will not be able to get the programme unless you listen to it live. And this isn't me being in bad form or this isn't me being pessimistic. This is the truth. One day real soon, the programme won't exist at all. Why am I saying all this? Well, I'm, 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 it's a cautionary tale. I know that listening to this programme tonight are many content creators who produce their own content. I know this. People like Spiro, Skuras, who produces brilliant content for YouTube and ActivistPost.com. And there are many others who listen to this. They listen to it because, because, I, because they know me, because they've been on. So they pay attention to it. They listen to the guests that come on with me. I'm telling you that this is where it's going now. It's happened so quickly 
I mean, I, I remember saying two years ago, this is going to happen. And now it's happening at the rate of knots. And it's kind of head spinning, really, what's going on. And we haven't even seen the UK government online harms bill uh, be read in Parliament yet, let alone read in the House of Lords. And that's a major piece of legislation, the online harms bill, which is dressed up fancifully to, you know, to convince, I suppose, the populace, to convince the nation that it's a good thing to protect children from being harmed when they're online. But in reality, it's a smokescreen. It's a Trojan horse to bring in censorship that was previously unimaginable. Where the government will be able to declare, and its its agents, agents of the government, will be able to declare that something that is being said by someone is dangerous and is harmful. Therefore, we must close that down. That's where it's all going to end for programmes like the Richie Allen Show. Not straight away. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It isn't going to happen next week. Maybe. It's probably not going to happen next month either. But this is where it's going. I told you two years ago that they would never accept not having domain over programmes like this, that they would never tolerate it. I said during the summer, when the programme was kicking the arse of some of the most famous presenters in the country, I said they'll never tolerate that. And they won't. And the online harms bill is a huge part of that. They want for themselves the power to declare something something should not be said or more importantly, something should not be heard because it's dangerous, because it's harmful. He shouldn't be able to interview people who declare that the COVID jabs might lead to a, a, a very, very serious health crisis in the population not just here but elsewhere, he shouldn't be allowed to speak to somebody about that. Because it might put somebody off taking their medicine and their medicine is good for them. We can't have it. People are not capable of determining for themselves what they should and shouldn't listen to. No, no, the state will take control of that. And I've been banging on about this for two or three years. This is my area of expertise, the media. I'm a qualified journalist, an award-winning radio producer. I produce the most listened to independent radio show in the world. I know what I'm talking about. This is where it's going. And uh, the PayPal thing was only the beginning. I'm currently using Patreon. Give it a week, give it a month, give it two months. Patreon will eventually delete that account as well. They'll make it impossible on so many levels for the independent media to do what the independent media does. This is not pessimism. This is not poor me. This is not martyrdom. And I am not soliciting support here. I am not. I've been thrilled with the response since the PayPal thing. You know, I think we've got about 700 
between Patreon and between the bank account, we've got about 700 people signed up to send a couple of quid a month, which is wonderful. And I'm so thrilled with that. I'm hoping to get to a thousand. If we got to a thousand, it would be fantastic. So I'm not soliciting support. I'm happy with that. I'm just telling you this is the way it's going to be. Maybe on some level I'm telling you because you might have a solution. What will be the solution? I don't know. I'll make peace with it, you know, when it does happen, when the day comes when there will be no point in coming into the studio because A, I can't upload it to the internet and B, because my streaming company will no longer stream me because they've been told not to. I've made my peace with it. I won't melt down at that stage. I won't cry. I won't feel sorry for myself. I will go and do something else. Can it be avoided, that? You know, looking ahead, can it be avoided? Is there a way around it? You'd say public speaking. I don't know about that. You know? I don't know about that. I had planned last year, actually Christmas 2020, Christmas 2019-2020, I'd put the finishing touches to a two-hour live show, an audio-visual, basically a stand-up show that I was going to do which would have been basically taking the monologue on on the road. I was going to take the monologue on the road, basically. Audio-visual. I was very happy with it. And there were some theatres, not just here in the northwest, but there were some theatres, amateur-run theatres with 200 seats, 300 seats, 500 seats around the country who said they'd love to get involved in that kind of a thing. And I was going to take a very, very short break from the radio programme and I was going to go out on the road. But obviously the shutdown of the economy and the shutdown of society for the scandemic put pay to that. So I don't know if that might be a possibility in in the future. But then it wouldn't be the radio show, would it? it? So, So I don't know how it's going to go, really. But... We're kind of on red alert now. You've no idea how painful it is for me to talk like this because I would be scathingly critical at times of truthers. You know, talking about the the establishment is coming to get me because of what I do. I'm the truther and they're trying to bring me down and all of that bollocks, meaningless nonsense. And it is for 99.99% of these people, these truthers. These megalomaniacs that I've talked about so many times, not 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 in the recent past, but I used to talk about them. The snake oil salesman. But this is a real thing. The Richie Allen show is a real thing. It reaches an enormous amount of people. I like to think I do it properly most of the time. I like to think I'm professional most of the time. And I like to think that it's important to have a platform where those doctors and academics can come on and speak. And be heard by a lot of people. But it's under the gun now. There's no doubt about that. I've had dozens, and they're coming in now, dozens and dozens of emails from people saying, Richie, Spotify has cut it again. iTunes has cut it again. Another provider has cut it again. You you know, the, the show should be an hour and 47 minutes on average when it's uploaded. After I cut the music out, I mentioned this earlier on. More often than not now, it'll go to Spotify and it'll be 40 minutes long. 
because somebody has gone in there and chopped out large segments of the programme because those segments have been deemed harmful by a company that does not speak to me, that does not seek out my opinion, by a company that doesn't speak to the parent company, Podomatic.com. It's horrendous, really, when you think about it, but this is where we are. And I suppose it's get busy doing something about it or get busy whinging about it. I'm not whinging about it. I'm not a victim here. I'm not playing a victim or claiming to be a martyr. I'm just saying this is what's going on now. You need to be aware of it. If you listen to it on demand, you need to be aware that for now, you need to get it through podomatic.com. P-O-D-O-M-A-T-I-C.com. Because they won't cut it. They've sworn not to cut it. And I've been a client of theirs for six years now. And the Richie Allen Show has been number one, the most listened to and downloaded podcast on Podomatic for years. And I've never missed a payment. You've never missed a payment because your contributions to the programme pay for all of that, pay for Podomatic, pay for the streaming, for everything else. So for the mean, for, for listen to it live if you can, between five and seven. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm hosted by Shoutcast. If you can't, get it through Podomatic.com because pretty soon you won't be able to get it anywhere else. And that's about it, really. I can't say any more on that. And I really can't say any more today. I've been battling with a shitty uh, bug or virus and I, I have a stinking, rotten headache, which I've had for, for about a week now. So I'm going to take my leave of you today. I'm going to take an early bath with a half an hour to go. Thanks to Karen and Carol who came on to talk about 5G masks being placed in the vicinity of a primary school in Brighton. That's a big deal, that, and we need to follow that up as well. Um, I've got, who have I got tomorrow? I've got a Dr. Jessie Keener uh, returning to the programme tomorrow. Wonderful lady. Uh, back for her second visit to the programme. Hugely important stuff as well. She'll be on with me tomorrow, and I'm sure I'll have much more for you as well. That's tomorrow. When, uh, Thursday. I've got a temperature as well. I've got a fever as well. But I will be back tomorrow, come hell or high water, uh, at five o'clock UK time. Remember, Podomatic.com, the scallywags at Spotify and iTunes and elsewhere, they have appointed real people to chop up the Richie Allen radio show. Why they don't just delete it, I don't know. Uh, this is, I've been racking my brains. Why they wouldn't just delete it? Is it because they think they might make a martyr out of me? Is it because I made such a big deal a few weeks ago that the show is murdering some of the country's most well-known commercial presenters? Is, is that the reason why they won't delete it? I'd prefer that they just deleted it. Just delete it and be done with it. You know, if they just let me have Podomatic, I'd, I'd be happy with that. And the live show. And Spotify and iTunes can fuck off. I don't care if it's not on Spotify or iTunes. I don't understand why they don't just delete it. But to be implying somebody to cut the show to pieces and leave a skeleton show on their platform, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. But anyway, it is what it is. Thanks for listening today. I've been a bit all over the place today and that's because I'm not well and it's because we're battling tech issues as well and I don't have a engineer to hand um, I do have the amazing Paul Ripley who's an amazing guy love him to, to death and, and he'll be helping me out as we go along 
But um, until tomorrow at five o'clock, you enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, leaving it with Van the Man and Dweller on the Threshold, which is kind of how I feel, to be honest, most of the time. A Dweller on the Threshold. A Dweller on the Threshold.